Hey everyone, this is Austin, the host of the Heart of Fauquier podcast. First of all, I want to thank you so much for all of your support. Uh, This podcast has been a lot of fun to put together. I hope you've enjoyed uh, listening to the guests just like I've enjoyed meeting them and learning about everything they're doing. Uh, Today's episode is at Clifton Institute here just north of Warrington. Uh, You definitely want to check the whole thing out. Uh, see what Clifton Institute is doing to uh, help with preservation and research and everything. Uh, They have a beautiful area here. I'm down at the pond right now, um, and there's just a lot of opportunities to help them out and also enjoy the nature here and uh, the beautiful Fauquier County that we all love. Uh, Definitely check out the whole video, and thank you so much again for your support. Welcome to the Heart of Fauquier podcast. We're here to highlight the stories of local business owners around the area because we believe that business owners are at the heart of any community. It's not just about bringing awareness to the businesses, but seeing the faces, hearing the stories, and learning the mindsets behind the success. Now let's join our host, Austin, owner of Bedrosian Cleaning Services, with today's special guest. Welcome to today's episode of The Heart of Fock Here. Uh, today we have an exciting uh, two guests here, a couple that um, are running a nonprofit that we're going to talk about. Um, but first, before we get started into things, I just wanted to uh, make an announcement about the Heart of Fauquier's shop online. Um, I know I've mentioned it in the past and we made a post about it, but if you did happen to miss it, you definitely want to check that out, um, especially with the holiday season coming up. Some things are really fun um, for just merchandise that you can do with Um, We have shirts and everything that are all about supporting local businesses. And then we also have cool things like um, a mug that says it's Falk here, it's pronounced Falk here. So just like fun things that are local and whatnot. Um, And even uh, little onesies and toddler shirts that say made in Falk here. I think those are hilarious. (laughs) So definitely check it out. It's heartoffalkhere.com. And then you can go to the shop. And then also we have all of our videos for the podcast. And also our snapshot series is on there and some other things. So definitely check that out when you get a minute. Um, so today, we're talking about Clifton Institute. So our, my guests are Drs. Bert and Eleanor Harris. Uh, they're the ones that started and run this. Um, so just to kind of get kicked off with things, guys, if you could say a little bit about who you are and what Clifton Institute is. Sure. Thank you. Yeah, thank you. Um, who we are. So we moved to Virginia um, almost seven years ago now, and we we moved down here for other jobs from New Jersey where we were living, Um, and we pretty quickly found out about this place and realized it was a pretty special place to come and learn about all the plants and animals here in Virginia. I actually started volunteering here first, helping out with education programs, Um, and then almost four years ago we were very fortunate to be hired as the co-directors here. Prior to that, I was kind of on a research track. I I was a postdoctoral fellow at the University of Maryland, so I was doing um, computational biology research. So I was spending a lot of time at my desk uh, kind of using computers to study biology, but over the time in my graduate work and in that position, I realized that I much rather would be outside teaching kids, learning about the plants and animals out here in Virginia. Um, So this is kind of a dream job for me to be able to spend my time outside with kids, mostly, yeah. Yeah, similarly, I guess I've had a um, twisting path to get here where I started out um, working on tropical conservation, especially um, with birds in Indonesia, Malaysia, and Ecuador. Um, And that's why we moved to this area, was to work at Rainforest Trust, actually, on tropical stuff. But 
but I also, I mean, I'm, I'm from North Alabama and I went to college in Tennessee and um, at Sewanee, and Sewanee has a 15,000 acre campus that is an amazing uh, place full of biodiversity, but a lot of the students weren't, didn't really realize what was out there and I started a club when I was there to get people interested in what we had on campus and got interested also in the idea of trying to document all the species we could in one area. Yeah. Um, and so that's what we're doing here. You know, we've got a 900 acre property and we've already documented more than 2,000 species. Oh, wow. Of animals, plants, and fungi here. Neat. So it's pretty neat. Yeah, just, you know, you don't have to go to the Amazon to find a bunch of really cool animals and plants. And I guess we should just say, yeah, briefly what we do here now that yeah. we ended up here. Um, so you can't see, but we have a beautiful 900 acre property here. We're kind of sitting in the middle of it. Um, we're just a couple miles north of Warrington, so we're pretty easily accessible, but it feel, it's a pretty wild place. There's a lot of, you know, we have coyotes and bears and bobcats, um, and it's a pretty yeah, special place to come and get outside. And the property is protected under a conservation easement, which is really special. So it's, that's really our most valuable asset is just having this land that's gonna be protected in perpetuity. Um, and we use it for three main types of programs. So we use it for environmental education. We have things for ages two on up, um, preschool, school age, field trips, summer camps, adult programs. Um, and our goal is just to get people out here. And like Bert said, yeah, you don't have to go to the Amazon to find amazing species. Um, so our goal is just to kind of educate people about all the amazing, fascinating things that are happening right here in their backyard, and hopefully inspire them to take a, a little bit better care of the natural landscape and the environment all around them. Um, and then we also work on restoration. So we wanna make sure that not just this property, but properties all around the area are good habitat for the native plants and animals that belong mm -hmm. here. Um, we're especially uh, focused on grasslands and shrublands. So not forests, but kind of earlier successional, um, yeah, lower vegetation habitats that are really, really critical for a lot of birds that are in decline, um, as well as probably bugs and plants, although we know just a collective, we know less about those groups. Um, but we have a big 100-acre grassland uh, project that we're trying to turn from a fescue field into a beautiful native grassland so that it can be home to things like meadowlarks and grasshopper sparrows and prairie warblers and um, all sorts of other birds and insects. And then we do scientific research. So we're trying to do research on our restoration work so that we can kind of scientifically, objectively say what the effects of our restoration work is and so we can share that advice with other people. Um, but we're also studying kind of the biology of the plants, especially the plants and animals that are in decline. So this summer we were focused on studying American kestrels, which is a really beautiful um, America's North America's smallest raptor. That's a beautiful little falcon. Um, and we were trying to figure out what habitats they want to forage in. Yeah. So we know that they like to forage in big open fields. They, they would never be in the forest, but whether they prefer cattle pasture or hay fields or wildflower meadows, people didn't really know. And so we're trying to figure it out. We were trying to figure that out as an example of a research project. Yeah, so that's something you're still working on. Something. Yeah, so yeah. we've finished collecting the data um, and we are in the process of analyzing the data and then next summer we plan on continuing doing some some field work. Very cool. Yeah, and it seems like cattle pastures are really important for kestrels. Okay. So, um, uh, so good news, you know, there seems to be um, a bit of a win-win situation with being able to um, farm land and, be, and having it be useful habitat for rare animals or declining animals. Right. So that's neat. Um, there are definitely ways you can improve the way that you uh, graze to make it more biodiversity friendly, but but it's cool. It seems like kestrels really like cow pastures compared to pretty much all other 
open habitats. Yeah. Okay. Neat. Neat. Cool. And I think I might have misspoke earlier. I said something about uh, you guys starting it, and I know you didn't start it, right. but you guys <laughs> do run it pretty much and everything. So um, just wanted to make that correction. <laughs> so, um, but that's awesome. Um, so there's definitely a lot of you know history for you guys to know exactly what you're doing, and you're on a mission. You're passionate about what you guys do here, so that's really cool. Because um, I mean, you know, God gave us this service. We got to take care of it and make sure we do things that we can to make sure things work together and. You know, just to be responsible Absolutely. with what he gave us. So, um, so you kind of mentioned this um, a little bit, but what all programs do you guys do here? You you mentioned a bunch of them, kind of rapid yeah. fire. But what are some of your top programs that you have here at Clifton Institute for sure. people to take advantage of? Um, so obviously, the pandemic has affected a bit of what we can do during kind of like a normal year. Um, so I guess the last normal year was 2019 and we had almost 1,600 school kids and over 600 adults come to our program. So we're doing a lot throughout the school year, um, throughout the whole year rather. Um, most of those kids are coming to us on field trips from local schools. So we had one just this morning. Um, so a teacher will get in touch with us to bring either just their class or maybe the entire third grade or fourth grade, whatever it is, here usually for three hours. And so we'll do a lesson teaching them about maybe um, animal skulls or maybe about why bees build their hives with hexagons or about how beavers build their dams so something kind of specific and then we always go on a hike just to get them outside and show yeah. them all the stuff that's out here um, but that's kind of yeah a teacher bringing their class here but if you're just out in the area and you'd like to come we also have um, family nature walks every uh, month we have one one Saturday a month so families just come and the whole family goes on a hike together and with one of our guides um, and that's a really great way for the yeah the whole family to get outside and experience some of the things out here together see some things that maybe they want to go back home and learn more about um, during the pandemic we started something that we call nature school and so that was we started it last year for kids who were in kind of hybrid model school uh, hybrid school models so they had a day that when maybe they weren't in classes and they would instead come here for three hours to kind of have a field trip here. Um, and we've continued that this year. It's been very popular. Um, it's basically homeschool kids at this point because everyone else is back in school for the most part. Um, that's similar to our field trips, but for kids who are maybe in homeschool or uh, still in virtual school for whatever reason. Um, my favorite weeks are of the year are our summer camps. So we have four weeks of summer camp every year, um, one for preschool kids, one for two for elementary school, and then one for middle and high school. And that's just spending all day outside exploring, um, doing science projects, doing crafts, um, writing, drawing about what we're seeing out in nature. Um, and I did, that's really, yeah, that's the highlight of the year for me. Um, and then throughout the year, we have all sorts of adult programs. So every month we have bird walks. We just go for a walk to just show people. Um, so Bert said we have over 2,000 species of everything that's been found here on the property, but yeah. there are over 200 species just of birds that have been found right on this property, hmm. which is pretty cool. It's one of the, um, the, the birdiest places in the county, really, uh, which is pretty special. Um, we're still we're one species behind early. Oh, so really? We have two of them. They have two of eight. Oh, so we're man. looking hard. Yeah, <laughs> one more, two more. Two more. Yeah, and then two we'll more. Get there. Yeah. Okay, we'll do this. Uh, we'll, we'll do that at some point. We're getting there. It's a high priority. It is. <laughs> we work really hard at that. Yeah. And in that vein, the ducks just showed up on Saturday. So every winter, um, ducks migrate down. So they spend the summer way far north, and then of course it kind of freezes solid up there. So they need 
to come somewhere warm and for them this is a warm place to spend the winter mm-hmm. um and we had i think 13 or 14 ducks on saturday and any day now there'll be hundreds of ducks out there so that's a kind oh, of a highlight neat. of the winter um and if you come on a bird walk you get to see flocks and flocks and flocks of ducks which i love lots seeing. of different kinds or um yeah a handful of different kinds the the vast majority are called ring neck ducks but then we also get yeah a handful of other species um which i love seeing and we have a lot of i mean we have all sorts of programs. I guess birds are probably the most popular group, you know, yeah. animals and plants, but we also do um, neglected groups like lichens. We're going to have a lichen program coming up soon. Just to teach people and, a little uh, bit, like the basics of how to identify common lichens. Yeah, it's totally for beginners. Um, and we had, um, every every fall we do a walk with Mayor Neville, a mushroom walk. Okay. So he's a mushroom forager and he comes out and gives a talk about basic mushroom identification and which ones are edible and we go for a walk in the woods. and. Nice. Yeah, that's always a popular one. That was cool. Um, yeah, so there are all sorts of programs. We do butterfly and dragonfly stuff in the summer. Okay. General nature walks that don't have any particular target as well. Yeah. So if you want to find any of these, yeah, we're online at cliftoninstitute.org slash events. Our whole calendar is there. So we, yeah, always love getting new people out here. Yeah, absolutely. Cool. Um, so with all these different programs, I know you guys have a lot of volunteers that help you run things. Um, so what are the different events that take a lot of volunteers? What kind of things does volunteer entail, if that makes sense? Yeah, we have a, we have a really diverse range of activities for volunteers. Um, this time of year, we're doing a lot of seed collection. So we are in um, fields and forests, especially fields, um, collecting seeds of plants that are not available from commercial seed sellers, are only limited from a couple of nurseries. And um, the goal there is that we're trying to do restoration Mm-hmm. Um, ecology, so we're trying to get rid of non-native plants and replant native ones. Mm-hmm. Um, and to do that, to recreate, for example, Piedmont prairies, these these grasslands that are almost gone from our area, to do that you have to collect your own seeds to really do it, um, to like plant a truly appropriate mix. Um, but we don't expect your average landowner to go out and collect seeds, so we are we're working on planting rows of seedlings okay. on this property and also on um, at least four, five other properties um, to um, enable us to collect seeds from those areas so that we can provide better seed mixes to people when they want to plant wildflower meadows. So that's a fun volunteer activity. We go out and collect seeds. And then cleaning them is, not everybody finds that as much fun, <laughs> but it, you know, it's a, it's a social occasion. You get around the table and try to separate the seeds from the chaff, you know. Um, milkweed we only do outside though because yeah. it's so fluffy. <laughs> um, we, yeah, in the winter we kill autumn olive and other non-native plants that are taking over parts of the property. Autumn olive, I mean, probably everybody in the county has seen it at some point. It's kind of a silvery bush um, that does not belong here but was actually recommended to people planted, planted uh, hmm. to be planted a couple of decades ago, but it's just super aggressive and really terrible. Um, pushes other native plants out and it's just not good food for native caterpillars or native birds Hmm. Um, so we're trying to get rid of it as much as we can Um, and we do it in the winter when birds aren't nesting in it and other things aren't growing as much so we're busy doing that the next couple months okay we'll be doing some fires um, in March so we burn like for example we burned that field last March Um, and so we we do that with volunteers um, and we have all the equipment so interested in that that's an exciting volunteer opportunity we use fire to manage the grasslands because they would have been maintained by fire naturally Mm -hmm. um, and also with Native American fires Um, so yeah it tends to promote the native plants over the non-native ones 
Yeah. But if you see a big cloud of smoke coming from this area in March. <laughs> it's under control. Yeah, yes. it's on purpose. Yeah. <laughs> Got it. But we're, yeah, it's amazing. I mean, over the last couple of years, we've had, you know, every year it's over 100 people come and de dedicate over, you know, thousands and thousands of hours. Really? So that's been really, for me, one of just the most heartwarming parts about working here is seeing how much the community is willing to come out and spend, you know, that's hard work. Yeah. So they're willing to put their back into it and, you know, expend some blood, sweat and tears, helping make this place a better, better place, which is, yeah, just a really amazing thing. And we, you know, we only have five staff, five full-time staff, so we couldn't get, it's just a tiny fraction of what we would be able to accomplish. Sure. It's just so important. Um, but I guess, and that's one thing that is cool about this place is that it's going nowhere. I mean, it's protected under amusement. It's a nonprofit. So I hope that volunteers feel, and I think they do, like I do, that every, all the work that you put in here, it's for something because it's, it's going to be here forever. You know? Right. So I think we really are advancing the, the property and also the mission of the organization. That's great, yeah. And with volunteers and stuff, what do you guys do? Because um, there's a lot of nonprofits in the county um, and most of them survive just because volunteers come and help out so much. Um, so what are different things maybe that you guys do or that you can suggest for people to get volunteers and how to uh, kind of lead them the right way and appreciate them and stuff like that? I don't know if you have any ideas for that. I think for one thing, we've kind of figured out the types of projects that people are most excited about helping with. So for one thing, like tree planting. People just love planting yeah. trees, which is awesome because they get to see, you know, like there, where there was nothing, now there is a tree. So something really concrete where they can see the effects of their actions. We have found that people really love working on rather than kind of chipping away bit by bit at a bigger project. If they can see something like planting a tree or maybe removing an invasive tree, um, things like that, that I think people get excited about participating in. Sure. And we try to also, I guess, just make sure that all these volunteer activities are fitting into the science that we're doing here. Um, and I think that's also appealing to people, you know. Um, there's a, there are very specific reasons why we do a particular activity. It's a huge property, but we are trying to really prioritize. And we try to make sure that at the, at the beginning of every volunteer event, we try to spend a few minutes, you know, of course, when the volunteers are here, we kind of want to get out there and like get put them to work. Yeah. But um, we always try to take a few minutes to make sure they understand the impact that they're having. Yeah. Yeah. Definitely. Yeah. When people know that, like you said, it's going to stay here. What the work that they're putting into, it's not just going to you know disappear in a year or two. It's going to last and everything. And also seeing the bigger picture of what they're working on, yeah, that can be really good. So, um, being in. Fauquier County now, and then the past work that you guys have done. What are some unique things that you found here on this property and in this just area of Virginia compared to where you've been in the past? Is there anything unique that you've seen? You mean like plants and animals, or like in the community, or both? Or both? Well, well, I mean, honestly, like I like I said about volunteers, I I've never lived anywhere where there has been such a community spirit where people were so willing to come out and help nonprofits. Also, just curiosity about nature. I've never lived anywhere where there are so many people who are so excited to learn about the native plants and animals. It's really, I mean, all of our programs fill up because there are people out here who are curious about the things that are, you know, going on out in nature, um, which is just awesome. I think that's a pretty special thing about this, this community. But yeah, and I like, I like how diverse it is. I mean, so we're, you know, in a rural area, but we're, we're pulling people from urban areas and even more rural to the west. We're kind of in the middle, you know, sure. in between Rappahannock and Fairfax. And so... Um, it's just cool. It's a really diverse community of people that come, and um, and they're dealing with different things on their properties, and 
that's another thing that Eleanor hasn't mentioned yet is that we have a program. We have a staff member who visits landowners and advises them on land management. Oh, yeah. awesome. And so that's so she spends three days a week doing that. So we've already visited about seventy people this year, seventy properties. Um, and when we do that, it's amazing. You, know, you get to learn about what everyone is trying on different you know different properties. So they have different species they're working on, different history of how the land was used. Um, and it's just cool to see, yeah. I mean, for one thing, it's encouraging because there are a lot of people trying to do the right thing. And sometimes they feel isolated and, and we wouldn't know about them either, you know, mm -hmm. if we hadn't done all these visits. But it's encouraging to go around the area and see how much is being done to try to help nature. Um, yeah, there, there are a lot of environmental organizations in this area, really, more than you would predict, you know, mm -hmm. based on the population here. So there's definitely is a lot of interest. Biologically, it's also a pretty cool area. I mean, we just have, there's some amazing things living out here. Like, I think maybe my favorite insect is called the rainbow dung beetle. We have dung beetles here in Virginia. You don't have to go to Africa to find a dung beetle. And we have one that's iridescent and rainbow colored. Nice. It's so Roll cool. It literally does. It's like, we have some really cool things here. Cool birds, cool plants. It's a, it's a pretty special place to explore. Yeah. And you're even saying, you know, bobcats and bears and stuff like that. You have quite a few of them even on this property. So, yeah. um, how, how many bobcats do you think there are in the area? Just curious. Probably just a few. Cool. Just okay. a few. Yeah. But we don't know. I mean, nobody's tagged them. Okay. So we, you know, there are a lot of things that you would think we would have answers to that we don't. Even here, an hour from the nation's capital, you know, it's just there's a lot. There's a lot of research that needs to be done if we want to really learn how these animals and plants make their living, you know. Got it. I mean, and so next year we're going to be putting satellite transmitters on box turtles um, because, again, um, not much is known about how they make their living and what the threats are, how they deal with the different threats. So we're going to tag them and find out where they lay their eggs and where they spend their time, what kinds of habitats, how they deal with crossing roads. Um, and mainly how they deal with mowing. We think mowing is a really big threat to box turtles. Hmm. And they can live for like 50 years, so, um, wow. and they don't reproduce very fast. So killing an adult box turtle will have a real effect on the population. Interesting. And that's um, something we have a better idea of numbers. You know, the, the shells aren't 100% identifiable, but roughly, and so we've been taking pictures of them for the last few years, and we think on this property we have over 20 box turtles, which is, and that's just, you know, on the trail, so I'm sure if you get off trail, that's an underestimate. So that's a pretty, we have a, we, we like seeing our big healthy population of box turtles. It's pretty cool. Okay. That's very neat. I mean, it's such a small turtle to live so long. I wouldn't expect that. I mean, you think about tortoises living, what, a hundred years or more kind of thing oftentimes, but that's pretty neat that even small turtles like that yeah. live so long. Yeah. It's amazing. Very cool. So. I have, so, make, so make sure yeah, you, if you see one crossing the road, please stop and help it across. Yeah. And don't put it in a pond. And do, yeah, I think they, well, I've heard mixed reports on if they can escape or not, but yeah, they, they are terrestrial. Yeah, they don't, yeah, they don't need to be in water. Okay. Yeah. I have one final question, and then if you have anything to add at the end, you're more than welcome to. Um, is there a favorite spot on this property that you go to when you have free time and just want to you know, read or breathe or just look at the sights and you think it's really neat to just stand there and watch? That's a great question. Yeah, I, for me, the upper woodcock field is what we call it. And it's cool because it was a cattle pasture until the 1970s. Um, but it's this ancient grassland community. It's really cool. It's, it's all these grassland plants that are similar to plants in the western U.S. that have been hanging on in that field for a long time. Mm -hmm. And that's one thing. The, the landscape in, in our area is so transformed. And um, 
pet, this uh, tall fescue, which is a pasture grass, has now taken over all the fields pretty much. But there are little fragments that are left of what the native grasslands would have looked like back when there were bison here, when there were more frequent fires. Yeah. And so Upper Woodcock is like a glimpse into the future. That's a cool field. Hmm. And so we work hard to try to maintain it. Um, and it's also not, it's just tucked in back in the middle of nowhere. There's really nothing back there. It's cool. Yeah. That's mine too. I mean, the, the species are cool, but it's just, yeah, I mean, we're close to Warrington. We're close to Lantire Road. We're close to Highway 17. But yeah, that little spot, there are a couple, you know, you can, you can pretend that you're a long way from civilization. It's yeah. pretty quiet. You can't see any, you know, there's a nice view. There's a beautiful view, but you can't see civilization from there. So that, that's a nice place to escape. Um, and I will say, yeah, so if anyone wants to come and kind of explore outside of our programs, our trails are open on Saturdays for most of the year, not for November and December, but for the rest of the year, we have a program called um, Friends of the Clifton Institute. So if you make a $40 annual donation, then you get to come hike our trails every Saturday. Um, so of course, we'd love to see people at our programs, but um, if you want to kind of, kind of come find some of these spots on your own, that's another option. Yeah, that's great. And it's interesting because like, when I was driving in here, um, knowing a little bit about what you guys do already and then just seeing the landscape with the really tall grasses and the trees and different things like that it just made me think you know when people first came to America and you know met the like from the Europe and stuff like that and just exploring these different areas like what was it really like walking around like they weren't walking around on you know short grass or like through things like that it was very interesting and like the different wildlife there must have been a ton of wildlife that they met and stuff like that so that's just very fascinating to think about exploring and going through, you know, the land like that. It's pretty neat to think about way back in the day. I love thinking about that yeah. kind of thing. So, For sure, yeah. But did you guys have any closing comments, or did we pretty much cover everything? I don't think so. Yeah, I think so. Thanks a lot. Yeah, thank you so much for your time and um, everything that you're doing here. Um, I know Falkir, a lot of people are all about, you know, wanting to preserve different things, and um, so just having us here with the research and everything you're doing is pretty cool. Awesome. Thank you. Yeah. And uh, we'll see you guys next time. Make sure you check out their website. Um, you guys on social media as yeah, well? Yeah, we're on okay. Facebook and Instagram. Yeah, yeah, come check us out. So check those out and uh, see what you can do to volunteer or even just uh, enjoy the nature here as well. So, and we'll talk to you guys next time. Bye. Thank you for joining us for today's episode of The Heart of Falk Here. If you loved joining us today, give this podcast a great review and subscribe to keep up with new episodes. If you have an office in Falkir that needs a cleaning service, reach out to Bedrosian Cleaning Services and see how they can serve you. Until next time, thanks for listening.